0: Let's look to the Lord in prayer.
1: Father, now this is your time, not ours. You are the sovereign God, and this is your throne room that we are, because of the shed work, blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, now allowed to enter into. And we know we have an audience with you because of Jesus. Now, in the second of the three services, again, we realize that we're dealing with spectrum. There are going to be those who, perhaps, when they look at their upbringing and experience, would say, I'm coming out of a a secular, unbelieving background. There are going to be others who would say, I'm coming out of a religious but unbelieving background. We have to know what our starting point is and where the Holy Spirit is operative and moving us along that spectrum, but we need to cross that threshold into saving faith, putting faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation and not end there. We need to continue moving forward, growing, becoming closer to you and being like you so that in turn we, we multiply followers of you, leading people to Christ who lead people to Christ and so on. We even look forward to hearing the testimonies this afternoon. So there's a richness here in these four verses we're exploring this morning, and we want to delve into them and understand what it is you're saying. So Father, these words found in these verses are important. So we're asking that once again you would warm these hearts, and that you would engage these minds, and that you would shape these wills. Because again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And we're praying these things now in
0: in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a section in Berlin, Germany, where Protestant church
1: was positioned. And what's interesting about that church is that it was positioned where the Berlin Wall would initially or eventually be established, dividing that church setting in half. Half of the church was found in East Berlin, the communist section. The other half of that church was found in the free section of West Berlin. And what is
0: interesting is that the name of that church was the Church of Reconciliation. And I pondered the significance of that in a prior
1: decade when Ronald Reagan stood before the German population on June 12th of 1987 and with a very strong statement, Mr.
0: Gorbachev Tear down this wall. And in that scenario, the
1: tension of alienation versus reconciliation was being symbolized. Because due to the fallenness of humanity, you and I are positioned in a culture of alienation, where people are separated from one another. And there's this desperate need to bring together that which has been separated. Some try to do that politically, and some try to do that culturally, but ultimately it is through the finished work of Jesus Christ where true reconciliation can be found. And what I want to do is to build off of what we were exploring together last week, it's on. It's on our website if you want to go back to it and build off that, continue with that, because I want to explore now still three more observations about this whole matter of the way in which God goes about producing reconciliation in a culture of alienation. So if you find yourself alienated from somebody this morning, there's a chasm that our worship team sang about a few moments ago that needs to be bridged somehow. All of that's symptomatic of something far deeper and far greater, the chasm that has taken place of humanity being separated, alienated from God, and God desires to bring us together again, bring reconciliation out of alienation. So now three added observations to build off of what we have covered in prior weeks. And the first comes out of verse 16. We're going to pen it like this. Number one, as we consider how God reconciled us to himself, not himself to us, how God reconciled us to himself, I want you first notice with me this morning the changed perspective God instills in us. So now you're at verse 16. And notice how timely this is. He begins with this sense of from now on. So as we consider how God reconciled us to himself, note, and it appears on the screen, the changed perspective God instills in us from now on. Once you have become a new creation person, you have got a different perspective. You've got a transformed take on the way in which you're going to go about viewing people. From now on, therefore, you ask yourself, and what's therefore, therefore? so we considered last time, you're building off the prior mindset of the love of Christ, controlling the way you think, the way you believe. And so what does he start with? Well, he begins with the general, and he moves to the particular. Notice how he begins. We regard, or another way to use the word, we assess, or another word, We view no one according to the flesh. Which means then you and I cannot be influenced by outwards, but we've got to ask ourselves, what is God doing in the realm of the inward? This was a problem for Samuel when he was about to choose a new king. The paradigm was King Saul. Boy, did he fit the paradigm of what the world would look for in royalty. Strong, appearance-wise, second to none. Had all the indications of being a profound and proficient leader. Greatness as a warrior. But he had failed God. So Samuel was given the responsibility of finding a replacement. And so now, God has a paradigm, and Samuel evidently had a paradigm which was not God's paradigm. You ever done that with God? When your profile doesn't fit His sense of profile? So when when they came, he looked on Eliab Jesse's sons, and Samuel thought, well, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And then the Lord said to Samuel. Do not look on his appearance or on the height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so Samuel then is finding out that his pick was not God's pick. That ever happened to you? Well, a little later then, and he's gone through his entire uh, group of uh, candidates. Samuel's asking, "Was there anyone else? And Jesse then responds, there remains yet the youngest, but he's, in, he, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him, get him. We will not sit down till he comes. And he sent and brought him in. And what is interesting to me, does this interest you? is that the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to say, now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. That's outward, that's external. It's not that God's negating the outward. It's just that God is concerned with the inward. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now, what the Apostle Paul is going to have to do at this point then is to hold up a new lens, and begin to look at people differently. We regard no one according to the flesh, which means then that takes into account matters of race. That means it takes into account matters of gender. It means we take in, it takes into account matters of social standing. It takes into account matters of education. We've got to understand that it is not the outward, now; it is the inward. The second of the two parental funerals was done. And so, again, whenever I'm officiating a funeral, I try to distance myself a little bit to recoup. We have retired pastors and all the services, and you know what I'm talking about. Um, You give of yourself, and you'll never get that back again when you do it. So you try to find a way to refresh, and and now her grandchildren are in the backyard of my sister, and people are beginning to tell stories. Um, She said, oh, I've got a story for you about your grandmother. When your uncle was at Wheaton College, he would call your grandmother and say, "Um, it's Thanksgiving time's approaching, and I've... We have got this person from Malaysia here in the dorm who has no place to go. Um, Can he come home for Thanksgiving? Uh, That he wanted mom to cook a Malaysian meal (laughs) for him. Yeah. And I remember that because mom said, you want me to cook an American turkey on Thursday and a Malaysian meal on Friday? And then she had the librarians throughout the area looking up Malaysian recipes so that she knew what to do. Uh, and so this began a means of ministry. And then she said, when, when your uncle was in medical school, he called one day and said, could, we bring, could I bring home uh, uh, this brilliant man from India who he, he's... He's gifted in the area of medical research. Uh, bring him home for Christmas. Now, the goose is getting fat. Please to put a penny in the old man's hat. If he hasn't got a penny, a hay penny will do. If he hasn't got a hay penny, well, God bless you. Some of you might remember that. And it's Christmas time, you see, and Mom's saying, how do I feed a man from India? And so... She had the librarians looking recipes up again. Well, got to graduate school at Trinity, and there's this man from South Africa, and I can't let him stay back in the dorms for the holidays. And so right away, she's burdened with, what do you, how do you cook for food for somebody from South Africa, you see? Well, this was speaking to the younger generation who grapple with matters, you see, of fragmentation in today's culture and the whole matter of inclusivity and the likes. And here we are talking about how the gospel was being shared around the dinner table and how her, their grandfather would at one or two in the morning be sitting in the living room talking to a, a young man from India about about medical research and then sharing the gospel with him and spoke, speaks. Because the family unit was being raised by which the love of Christ controls us. And we were not going to be allowed to regard people according to the flesh. And so the lens had been replaced as new creation. People race, gender, social standing, education, and so on. And there she positions herself now to minister through having librarians look up recipes so that people could come home and be exposed to the wide range of things. But now notice how Paul moves from regard no one according to the flesh from the general to the particular because then he then adds, even though we once regard it, Christ, according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. And on that road to Damascus, where Saul of Tarsus had been regarding Jesus according to the flesh, and had assumed then that it was a myth that he had been raised from the dead and was trying to incarcerate believers along the way, all of a sudden, a voice breaks into his Damascus experience, falls to the ground, and then hears these words, "Saw,
0: saw. why are you persecuting me?
1: And now he's going to have to have saw begin to rethink who is me and deal with the fact we are dealing here with a risen Savior. And the challenge is, in secular society, too many people regard Christ according to the flesh, and he's nothing more than a moral teacher. He is nothing more than a good example, but in both cases, oh, you've got one over-engineered product on your hands. Because he's that and more. He is Messiah Jesus, and he's been raised from the dead. And what do you do with somebody who doesn't fit into your secular paradigm when it comes to the Jesus of this world? So Jesus breaks in with a question that you and I have got to continuously ponder, and we've got to ask ourselves the significant aspects of how we begin to narrow from the broad base to the particular base where we once regarded Christ according to the flesh Now Saul becomes Paul. Huh. We regard him that way no longer. It was in the fall of 1775 when the manager of Baltimore's largest hotel refused lodging to a man who came in and he had a less than ideal appearance and thought it would discredit the inn. So the manager sent him away, and so the man left and took a room elsewhere. Only later, the innkeeper discovered that he had turned away none other than Thomas Jefferson. Sent a note asking him to return and be his guest. And Jefferson responded and replied, I have already engaged a room. I value your good intentions. But if you had no place for me as the way I appeared, you have no place for me in your inn. We've got to begin to deal then with the questions of how are we appraising? How are we viewing? How are we assessing? And move from the general to the particular and realize that just as Jesus Christ was appraised less than ideally. For he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. We've got to bring a different lens to the culture where people can now assess Jesus for who he really is and receive him based upon the sum total of what he has done, dying in our place for our sins. Now, in this whole matter of reconciliation, this speaks to a culture of fragmentation. There's more than division. In the culture, there is fragmentation of this culture. Reconciliation brings together that which has been separated. As we consider how God reconciled us to Himself, not Himself to us. You know, first the changed perspective God instills in us. And now you're ready for the next one in verse 17. That as we consider how God reconciled us to himself, you know, second of all, the new creation God provides for us. Notice how many times he uses the word therefore. It's as if he's got Legos, verbal Legos. And he keeps connecting one to the next, to the next, to the next, as he, as he builds something, as he constructs something that he wants you and me to think about in the whole realm of the ministry of reconciliation. So, other, therefore, and you ask again, what's therefore, therefore? And you keep building off the prior phrases. And then he, he adds this. If anyone, not if someone,
0: if anyone is in He is, a, he is a new
1: creation. Now, I want you to notice with me the phrase, in Christ. It is one of the Apostle Paul's favorite descriptions of a relationship one can have with God, being in Christ. We did a series two years ago, the Christ series, through Christ, in Christ upon Christ, with Christ, and so forth. One of my favorite in Christ teachings comes out of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I taught on this. It took me two years to get through Romans. Surprise, surprise. And in Romans 8, verse 1, you and I were told, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, when men see that a prairie fire is coming,
0: what do they do? A hunter wrote, not the fleetest
1: horse can escape it, but from my experience, they just take a match and light the grass around them. Then they take their stand in the burnt district where we are safe. They hear the flames roar as they come. But we have found that when the flames surge around us, we are positioned in a safe place. And then I added, and there is one spot on earth that God has swept over, the cross of Christ. Where the son of god broke in and when we know him as our lord and as our savior we are positioned in christ where we are safe not merely in time but more so for eternity romans 8:1 therefore if any man is in christ we are a new creation people. Romans 8.1 connects itself to that statement in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. So now what the Apostle Paul does for us as we bring together the various rich teachings of being in Christ. We pull together, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are In Christ Jesus and allow that to be the informing text and teaching for what the Apostle Paul says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 of verse 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation now you draw a line from 17 back to 16 where you're not regarding people as you once did according to outward appearances status ethnicity, gender, education, and so on. And you think about what the Apostle Paul would write to the Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, you see, where there's equivalency at the cross, at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, We keep building on this, don't we? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, better to be in Christ no matter what we are facing in terms of the difficulties of life than to be outside of Christ and find peace with this world. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, here it comes now, he is a new creation. So what I did next was begin to explore both the Hebrew for New in the Older Testament with the Greek word for New in the Newer Testament. And I, and I pondered the fact there, there is, in essence, two forms of newness. There is newness when it comes to time, like a new year, New Year's Day, and new in terms of quality, where something different has been developed. New mercies we are we've spoken of it is spoken of in lamentations new wine in the gospels new creation the new covenant and then ultimately new heavens and new earth you see but what god desires for us to do once we have this newness of perspective is not to take on the old lens and look at life the old way even though we claim to be new creation people we assess life as if we're still old creation participants
0: new beliefs new values new loves
1: new desires there's a new self the old has passed away he'll go on to say here at this
0: point all
1: those values and beliefs and pursuits are changed and then did you notice what comes next there is a behold That is a visual statement to arrest your attention. He wants you to stop and realize that there has been a transformation of life. I can't claim to be a new creation person, but still living like I'm an old creation participant. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come And what interests me is that the Greek word for has come is in the perfect tense, which means it's a past action with ongoing ramifications, ongoing effects. Let me try to illustrate it. Walking down the streets in London, I stopped, pondered the story of Lindsay Clegg. He was a London businessman, told of a store that he had warehouse property selling building had been empty for months needed repairs vandals damaged the doors smashed the windows strewn trash everywhere you know the story. and then he showed a prospective prospective buyer the property and it took pains to say that he replaced he'd replaced the broken windows bring in a crew to correct structural damage clean out the garbage And it's what he said next that caught my attention. It's a behold moment. Forget about the repairs, the buyer said. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different.
0: I don't want the building. I want the site. And I want the permit to rebuild. God possesses the permit to build. And so he seizes what's old,
1: creates a perfect tense experience out of this. A behold moment, the new has come. Have you experienced that like, like Saul did on the road to Damascus, you see? Now what you've got so far, you've connected your dots from prior verses of prior weeks to the verses of this week. You've got the changed perspective God instills in us in verse 16. You've got the new creation God provides for us. We spot it in 17. Ready for the third? Here it comes. It's the reconciling message God entrusts to us in verses 18 and 19. Notice then, you and I are told all of this. He wants you now to group together everything he's taught up to this point, verse by verse by verse. And he says, All of this is from God. God is the source. We're not. In other words, what he's about to tell you is that God is the initiator of reconciliation. All of this is from God. Do you remember that story in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are trying to cope with alienation? Which I believe people are doing in modern day society, trying to find ways to cope with alienation. Alienation between people in the family, alienation with people at work, alienation with people in the neighborhoods, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. Why? Because they're trying to cope with their
0: alienation. They need reconciliation. But are they pursuing God? No. And the Lord God called to them. They
1: didn't call to God. Notice the initiator. The Lord God called to the man and said, "Who are you? Where are you?" Rather, it's a brilliant question because people, to this very day, in this culture of fragmentation and alienation, have got to answer that question: "Where am I?" On the spectrum of spiritual living, where am I? God poses the question. He just—he doesn't immediately deliver an answer. He's got to get people, Adam and Eve, here to start thinking. But he, they have to realize he's pursuing them. They're certainly not pursuing him. All this is from God. you see. And then he, after establishing the fact that he is the initiator, then furthermore, he is the one who's established not only the fact he's the source of, but he's also provided the means through, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. It does not read, and through Christ
0: reconciled him to us. This is brilliant. Now when you begin to grasp the significance of this,
1: you realize the value of what God is doing here? Not counting their trespasses against them, that is a financial term, not counting their trespasses against them, as if he's got some kind of ledger, and he's, and he's a debt collector. No. Entrusting to us, what is he doing? Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So now he's given you and me the ministry of reconciliation. The Greek word is used to describe a deacon, which bears the weight of understanding the value of serving. So now what God has done is put you amidst people that are alienated from one another and alienated from God. And he's saying, time for you to be a deacon. Time to deacon it out, so to speak. That is Christ God who is reconciling the world to himself, not the world reconciling itself to God. Financial term, not counting their trespasses against them, but then adds another financial term, entrusting to us, the idea is to deposit to one's account. In other words, he's got something for you to use, to invest. And what is it? The message of reconciliation, where God sent Jesus into the world to bring together people who have experienced alienation and find union, reconciliation through Jesus. Ernest Gordon tells in his miracle on the River Kwai, and some of us know it, with the Scottish soldiers forced by their Japanese captors to labor on a, a jungle railroad, Gordon tells us this had degenerated to barbarous behavior. But one afternoon, something happened. A shovel was missing. And the officer in charge became enraged. Gordon writes and demanded that the missing shovel be produced or else. And when nobody in the squadron budged, The officer got his gun and threatened to kill them all on the spot. It was obvious the officer meant what he had said and then finally one man stepped forward and the officer put away his gun and picked up a shovel and beat the man to death. And when it was over, the survivors picked up the bloody body and carried the body with them to the second tool check. And this time, no shovel was
0: missing. There had been a miscount a miscount at the first checkpoint. Ernest Gordon writes, The word spread like wildfire throughout the entire camp.
1: An innocent man had been willing to die to save others. Well the in- incident had a profound effect and people began to treat each other like brothers there was a changed perspective when the victorious allies swept in the survivors now human skeletons lined up in front of their captors and instead of attacking their captors insisted no more hatred
0: no more killing Now what we need is forgiveness. Let's be reconciled. Gordon writes, sacrificial love has that kind of transforming
1: power. So there you have it. You've got this church that's positioned where the line of demarcation during the days of communism would separate East from West, and separate East Berlin from, from West Berlin. A wall would be built in 1961, but on June 12th of 1987, Ronald Reagan would declare Mr. Gorbachev to tear down this wall. It was the place where the Church of Reconciliation had stood. So what God calls you and me to be is the Church of Reconciliation, communicating the message of reconciliation, that God sent Jesus into a world of alienation to bring about reconciliation through the finished work of Christ
0: on the cross. Let's stand together. Oh, Father, four verses, and we barely
1: scratch the surface. That's how deep and wide, how rich your word is. And we're awed by it and thankful for it. If somebody is still trying to live with the old perspective, though they're new creation people, if is trying to maintain an old lifestyle, though claiming to be a new creation person, if there are those who have not yet gotten involved in the message of communication, of reconciliation, then they're still living like old creation people. I pray now we find ourselves being transformed by these verses, that we leave different than we came, that some, whether it be secularist or religionists, have crossed that threshold by the work of the Holy Spirit and found themselves now in Christ rather than outside of Christ. May the result be that the dividing wall has been brought down and there is reconciliation and there is a ministry of reconciliation. And all this is for your honor and glory.
0: And for this we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.